<laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Jen Fry, Visioning Council Member for the Organization of Nature Evolutionaries, or ONE. I want to welcome you to our teleseminar series, where we delve deeply into what it means to be a nature evolutionary through dynamic explorations into consciousness raising that is at the core of one's vision of a world where people and nature are co-creative partners and all life has the right to thrive. We host leading nature evolutionaries in sharing their experiences and wisdom in holding profound relationship with nature. So first I want to give gratitude to our donors for it is their support that allows us to provide today's free teleseminar. Um, and today's title is Cultivating Intimacy with the Great Intelligences and Imagination of Earth with Janine Marie Haugen. The recording of this call will be available on our website, natureevolutionaries.com. Our guest today grew up a little wild with a run amok imagination. As a guide to the intertwined mysteries of nature and psyche, she delights in multidimensional listening and in offering perspective questions, ceremonies, escapades, and reflections that help expand a sense of our own possibilities as individuals and as a species. And deepen our experience of participation with an intelligent, animate Earth cosmos. A former teepee dweller and Whitewater River guide, she now lives amidst the creatures and features of Southern Utah's sandstone labyrinth. She is exploring the awakening of what she calls planetary imagination and the possible emergence of a new mode of the human that she has called homo imaginans. She is committed to the world transforming potential of the human imagination in collaboration with the earth community. You can find her writing in many anthologies and journals, including the book, Spiritual Ecology, The Cry of the Earth and Thomas Berry, Dreamer of the Earth, Written River, Parabola Journal, Cosmos Journal, Eco-Psychology, and the Artist Field Guide to Greater Yellowstone. You can join her this March at Esalon as she and Bill Plotkin co-lead Wild Eros in a Fragmented World, Soulcraft as Radical Participation. And you can also follow and connect with her at animus.org, spelled A-N-I-A, sorry, A-N-I-M-A-S.org. So it's my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Janine Marie Haugen. Welcome, Janine. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jen. <clears throat> it's wonderful to be on the phone with you today, and I want to thank the Organization of Nature Evolutionaries for inviting me. I'm deeply inspired by all that I see that Nature Evolutionaries is offering. And, um, and I love the idea of Nature Evolutionaries. And that does seem to be something so uh, essential for our time and also something that is has, is emerging um, in the uh, critical times that we're in. And um, let's see, I would like to begin by honoring the ancestors, honoring all the ancestors, including the galaxies and all of the intelligent life that preceded us over the long, almost 14 billion years, unfolding of the universe. 
And I want to say that it seems especially important for us to remember even now that we're part of an unfolding earth and cosmos, that this isn't the end, that we're in the midst of an unfolding um, journey, uh, an evolving story. It's not fixed here. And our vision for the future and sense of what it might be like to consider seven generations, seven generations from now, as we've learned from the indigenous Iroquois people, it might be especially challenging uh, amidst the enormity of our current events, our political events, climate change, fires, glaciers melting and so on, it might be uh, challenging to consider seven generations from now when the moment seems so enormous. But just for a moment here, let's consider the ones who come after us. I'd like to also acknowledge the many intelligences among whom we live and whose existences are endangered by planetary industrialization and by a changing climate. This includes human beings, many of whom are already on the move, trying to flee the collapse of ecosystems on which their lives depend. And I'd like to honor all of our teachers, including and especially today, Dr. Martin Luther King. <clears throat> we are living, as I'm sure anyone listening to this is aware and feels, we're living in a time of immense change. The future is unknown. We have so many scenarios for disaster. Our institutions don't seem to have the vision necessary for our fragile times. We're in a, a time of destabilization or a kind of chaos. It seems and everything is unraveling our political system, our economy, um, our, our social um, structures, our, our, our religions, everything seems to be unraveling. Our, our environments are unraveling. <clears throat> and, um, and that seems to be what uh, Joanna Macy calls the great unraveling. And it seems to be what we are amidst. And from evolutionary cosmologist Brian Swim, we can understand, we understand that cataclysm is one of the principal principles of the universe. Cataclysm is one of the uh, dynamic, what he calls powers of the universe, it is uh, built into the universe cataclysm. <clears throat> but cataclysm is not the end point. C 
cataclysm makes the way for something new to emerge. <clears throat> and we don't know now what will emerge. We don't know. We don't know what will rise from the ashes of our times, the literal and figurative ashes. But something will emerge, and that is the way of the cosmos. Some people have called our time, our age, our geological age, the Anthropocene, as an acknowledgement that human beings now constitute the equivalent of a geological force on Earth's living systems, the Anthropocene. But the great geologian and visionary Thomas Berry called this time the Ecozoic. I think he was more visionary and hopeful. He saw an emerging period in which the humans, in which humans would rediscover their creative relationship with the world and become what he called a mutually enhancing, enhancing presence rather than a destructive one. And that, oh, Organization of Nature Evolutionaries is a beautiful illustration of our capacities to become mutually enhancing with the rest of life. Yes. And there's uh, so many things like uh, this emerging now, um, other possibilities that we don't see in our major media, but... Uh, people wanting to be mutually enhancing, like with permaculture and, um, and the new versions of alternative communities and so on. But in these um, strange and often frightening days, for those of us who keep our attention at all turned to what's happening in the news of the world, it can be really challenging to hold the possibility that human beings might even yet become vital participation, participants in the well-being of Earth's living systems. It can be hard to even imagine that, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, turning our attention to wild nature can help us remember that we are not the only intelligence on the planet. (laughs) If it's up to us, if it's up to human beings alone, Mm -hmm. whoa, it it might not look so hopeful, but if if there's more intelligence than our own Mm -hmm. at work here, then then it becomes a different story. Mm -hmm. So this is mm, a lot of what my work is about is um, like yours at the Nature Evolutionaries, it's deepening my, my intimacy and also guiding in that direction, deepening intimacy with the, um, the beings with whom we share the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often go onto the land in a kind of simple pilgrimage to offer my attention or sometimes melodies with my flute or song or some kind of wild praise 
as if this is important, as if the world leans in listening, and as if there is a kind of curiosity from me to the world and from the world to me, I go as if, without needing to have proof, but uh, just as if this might be true. <clears throat> but I do believe that the other than human beings can hear our praise and our songs. I believe they can feel when we dance on the earth or we, they can feel, they feel our gestures of affection and our caresses and so on. <clears throat> and I believe that these kind of enactments of sacred reciprocity enliven something in the psychic and physical fields that we share with the wilder others. I believe those things, but I know for sure that this kind of a practice changes me and brings an ever greater consciousness, a growing consciousness, an evolving consciousness that we are participating, that I am participating in a great interconnected and independent intelligent earth that I'm a participant in that uh, greater being, in that greater organism. Hmm. Oh, Janine, there's so much that you've just said. <laughs> <laughs> Shall so, we pause? Yeah, so I just want, like, there's, um, gosh, there's so much I can say about this, but the, mm -hmm. um, I want to go back to the beginning, actually, which I think mm -hmm. was very important when you said mm -hmm. um, that we are amidst an evolving journey. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so key because what I have witnessed um, with so many people is that they, you know, they'll say, yes, I believe in evolution, but in their minds, evolution stopped in Darwin's time. Right. And, and, you know, it was something that happened before them. And now, now what we have is what we will always have and what has always been here. And, um, and I think it is important that we understand that we are always evolving and right now what we are experiencing at least i think what we are experiencing is a huge like a fast track of evolution mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i think that comes back full circle to what you were just saying at the end um, about participating in this interdependent earth um that that what we are experiencing is part of um, the evolution and it's part of our own as humans, our own human evolution of um, stepping up and participating in this mm. uh, beautiful home we call Earth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm wondering if you have anything more to say about that um, or else I have other questions for you too that you've brought up. Uh, you know, I could say so much so it's a question in my mind of which direction to go <laughs> here. Um, yeah, it, that, yeah, to hold in our uh, awareness, a sense of deep time that we are amidst a journey and, uh, and it's not all about us. Mm -hmm. It's not all about this moment. Mm -hmm. um, this is a part of some greater unfolding that, <clears throat> that we, we don't know what the future will be. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, we didn't even know the the past. Mm-hmm. It's um, only recently that we that you know we have some scientific understanding of the origin and evolution of the cosmos and of Earth and the unfolding of life. Mm-hmm. And um, it yeah. And something that Thomas Berry ha- said that I love is that um, I really appreciate this idea. In uh, indigenous people have tended to see the world as cyclical, mm-hmm. as you know everything is seasonal. It comes around again. Mm-hmm. And but but Thomas pointed out that we also we have that, but we also have a one-way, there's a one-way dimension to um, this cosmic journey that we're in. Can you say more about that? (laughs) Well, because we can see with a scientific, if one chooses to believe in science, which I do, and even though I also feel that science um, is makes its own guesses and suppositions and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, But what science suggests to us is that there was a moment somehow, uh, almost 14 billion years ago, where the universe emerged. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And then all these events took place over this very long period of time, um, even before the Earth uh, emerged and then life coming forth and and uh, that this is not something that has been repeated. There is an element of one way, right. and we we know that the sun, you know, will at some point burn out, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So the one way element. Mm-hmm. And um, and something else, Jen, that I just kind of want to throw into it's kind of a thought experiment for people is this um, something uh, fairly new in philosophy and um, and science too. I think is the idea that we live in a participatory universe mm-hmm. that we our presence and what we do and what we think and how we what we bring matters and it makes a difference in that it's not the world is not just happening to us mm-hmm. yeah i think that is um i think that's very important and i also mm-hmm. feel that um that frightens some people mm-hmm. <laughs> why well yeah. right i mean i think well i think there's a um a lot of different levels there so one, just a participa- participatory universe in general, the concept of that frightens some people to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. And then also the fact that their thoughts and their words are powerful. Well, then, then we start to have to be responsible for those thoughts and words. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there's an understanding that those thoughts and words have consequences, um, mm-hmm. which this is something I, I teach in Um, well, in my classes, but also to my student or to my clients that, you know, it's not enough to like, try to protect yourself from harm, you also have to be conscious of what it is that you're putting out into the universe. And um, Mm -hmm. 
So it mm -hmm. does, there is an ease in being unconscious and floating through the world. Um, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You know, I'm not suggesting that we do that, but I do think <laughs> <laughs> I do. there are days yeah. that I would like that, to be honest. There are days that mm -hmm. I would just like to not be aware of anything and just, you know, turn my life over to, um, but, you know, there's, there's an ease in being unconscious. And when we mm -hmm. realize that we are also responsible for creating the world in which we live in, well, then we have to step up, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I want to, let's see if I can find this quickly. The poet Patty Ann Rogers has a poem that I just love, um, which is related to this topic, if I can find her, her here. Um, Uh, I, I can't find it quickly. I could find it if I took another couple of minutes, but a poem called Supposition. Mm. And a couple of lines from her poem are, um, I don't think I have this right here. A couple of lines from the poem are something like this. It's something like this. Suppose, oh, supposition. And this is about praise, mm. praise, Okay. And, and it's about the mind. Um, okay, supposition. And this isn't a direct quote because I don't have the poem in front of me. Um, suppose the molecular changes taking place in the mind during the act of praise had physical properties and actually endured. <laughs> suppose the molecular places taking place in the mind during the act of praise had physical properties and actually endured. And then there's something about um, becoming a permanent outline in the cosmos. Mm. And suppose this makes a difference. Praise or whatever it is that we are um, offering mm -hmm. intentionally or or unconsciously mm -hmm. let's see okay that was kind of a side note there um oh here oh here it is okay oh no here we go suppose the molecular place changes suppose the molecular changes taking place in the mind during the act of praise resulted in an emanation rising into space suppose praise had physical properties and actually endured. <laughs> oh, I just love that poem. Oh, it's beautiful. And mm -hmm. that is what we've seen with the, um, you know, the prayers around the world, for sure. Mm -hmm. you know, we have a group of people focused. Mm -hmm. Things that yeah. are unexplainable seem to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, suppose it matters. And there's so much mystery. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, uh, yeah, so, um, okay. Let's see, something else I just wanted to mention here as a side note. Um, this is a thought experiment from Richard Tarnas from his book, Cosmos and Psyche. Mm -hmm. And um, I, darn, 
I have this written out somewhere, but um, I'm just going to have to tell it. Um, He invites us to imagine that we are the universe. Mm -hmm. And um, imagine that we are the universe and that we are approached by two suitors. Imagine that you are approached by two suitors of very different kinds, and you are the universe. And one of the suitors approaches you as if you are dumb matter, as if you are uh, possibly something that can be exploited to the benefit of the suitor, as if you have no feelings or um, subjectivity or nobility of your own. That's one suitor approaches you that way. It's pretty crummy of a suitor. <laughs> and, and another suitor approaches you as if you are every bit as intelligent and beautiful and filled with purpose and longing and intelligence as the suitor is. And to which of these do you reveal yourself? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. I I appreciated that. In one of the articles that you um, wrote, you shared that. And, uh, oh, good. That, that sparked something in me for quite a while. I sat with it, and it's beautiful. And I think, um, you know, one of the one of the things that I appreciate about what you offer, and and it comes up in the poem also in supposition, is just suppose. So just mm-hmm. you know, let's just you don't have to believe it. You don't have to, um, you know, um, worship this idea, but just, just for a second, why don't we just act as if, um, Mm -hmm. and so yes, that if we are the universe and that, that gives a good light about how our, how we are acting towards the earth and how, you know, the earth would respond to us in kind. Right. Um, Yeah. It's a wonderful thought experiment and and then to go out into the world onto the land as if Mm -hmm. the world is every bit as intelligent and um, filled with longing and and its own uh, animate nature and so on. Um, To go out as if Mm -hmm. and, and just notice what that is like. Right. to go out into the world in that way. And one of the thing, other things that I appreciated um, about your work is that you say when you do this, when you go out as if, what you notice is the effects it has on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely feel more enlivened and deeper into the world and uh, more a part of this great, greater organism with all these other intelligences and presences. Um, I feel in a way it's more at home, um, more at home. And also uh, when I was a kid, the world was very magical to me. And, uh, and so it's, I, yeah, it's like reviving uh, a magical 
-hmm. perception, mm -hmm. which isn't a fake perception. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, reviving an enchanted perception of the world. And, and what I think happens when we have that kind of experience is it uh, helps soften our customary psychic filters mm -hmm. and the ways that we're kind of blinded mm -hmm. to the, the world that we are in, the amazing <laughs> magnificence of the world. Um, and when our psychic, you know, we get into our psychic habits where we only see this or that, or, you know, everybody has that experience, I think, mm -hmm. um, where we're pretty closed. Our perceptions can be pretty close. And so going out as if everything is uh, alive and intelligent and participating, um, then it helps re-enchant my perception of the world it also, I believe, and I see this when I guide, it helps erode, soften those psychic filters so that the world can find us. Mm -hmm. So things we might not notice in a different uh, state of consciousness mm -hmm. that may have been there all along, but we didn't notice, mm -hmm. then we start to notice mm -hmm. things. So um, I'm curious, and it's interesting, well, yeah. I'll just start this way. I'm curious, um, because I know you do take people out into the wilderness and um, with the intention of helping them to experience this, you know, magical um, perception. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if you, do you encounter anyone who has um, a fear about going out into the wild? Uh, yes, but... Often by the time people find us, find the Animus Valley Institute, they're, um, they're willing, you know, they're willing <laughs> to try. And um, something I guide, not so much anymore, but our organization guides um, uh, contemporary vision fast mm -hmm. and where, where people will be solo for three or four days solo and fasting mm -hmm. for three or four days in a wilderness place. And, and, um, and, you know, there's probably always some kind of trepidation mm -hmm. uh, around that because the fasting itself is such a um, consciousness changer. Mm -hmm. And then to be solo as well, um, all these things, it's very um, different from you know our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sometimes we do get people who have uh, who are afraid, and 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 I would just scanning my memory. It seems like more often than not, people return with a sense of having been. Uh, found, mm -hmm. having found the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was 
as I was thinking about um, our conversation today, it was interesting to me, but fear popped up. Um, mm -hmm. and, want, and that's not a place that I usually am. And I feel very comfortable in nature. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, but I do have, it's been an interesting experience in the past several years that a number of people have started showing up who are actually afraid of going outside. Um, mm -hmm. And I, you know, my land's a little bit more wild, but I'm still fairly well in the suburbs, I'm not in the wilds of the, mm -hmm. the, you know, the West here. But, mm -hmm. um, but it's really interesting that just sitting on the earth um, scares them. And, uh. and yet, even though they have, and, and they're coming to a class of mine where, you know, it's like, they're intense classes where six months where they're, you know, every weekend mm -hmm. they're outside. Like we're working with plants here. You're going to be outside. And <laughs> show up. So, mm -hmm. um, so one, I'm confounded, like, well, why did you come? But the right. other thing that I found is that they showed up because the call in them was so strong that they had to override their fear. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And, and to that, I want to add um, the possibility that they heard earth calling. Right. Well, and I heard you say that in your, um, well, and I would say, that's what I would say myself mm -hmm. as well. But I heard you say that and I was like, yes, it's because um, the earth is speaking louder, mm -hmm. I feel, and calling mm -hmm. them. And so, um, and, you know, I've had to look at this fear and I think it is something historical for us. Mm -hmm. um, and it yeah. was something of a power play, right? To keep humans yeah. afraid of nature. And it was Oh, something yes. It was a thing that had to be um, tamed. Um, and, and make us afraid of or suppress our own wildness. Right. Because it's, you can't control people, wild people. Right. And <clears throat> so afraid of our own wildness in so many ways. May, and make people afraid to go into wild places and oh boy i could go off for a few hours on that <laughs> i'm sure good and well i just want to say a little bit more maybe see what sparks for you too but you yeah. know, part of this is also connected to what you talk about about having an animated universe or an animated mm -hmm. earth a living mm -hmm. earth is that um the that fear allowed us to um deaden the world yeah. and, and make commodities out of the earth and yeah. Um, I think because so many people are hearing that call and are having to face their fear, to me, I see it as a sign of um, we are in that evolution and things are shifting and we're overcoming all that programming um, mm -hmm. and moving towards, back towards an animated earth um, is mm -hmm. how I'm reading it. Um, I don't know if you have mm -hmm. anything to say about that. Yeah, I feel also there's a great longing um, for so, so much of the mystical, magical possibilities of life mm -hmm. have been drained out mm -hmm. of in the in industrial growth society, what mm -hmm. Joanna Macy calls the industrial growth society and and, uh, and it seems like for people who are sensitive to themselves at all, that there is a great longing mm -hmm. to recover 
or return to uh, something that uh, more where there's more meaning and 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 depth and uh, aliveness. Mm-hmm. And I find that very encouraging too, Jen, and the kind of work you say you're doing and bringing people into intimacy with wild nature, even if it's, you know, sitting on a, in a park, mm-hmm. um, sitting on the ground in a park, anything that helps people rediscover that the world is filled with presences that are, it's not just for humans, it's not just the human, human world. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Well, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, so um, cycling around to that is the, um, bringing us back to the imagination. Yeah. Um, because mm-hmm. I think that's also part of this, right? And I mean, you mentioned yes. about the draining out of the magical worlds, but um, you know, for a good part of the culture, imagination is not the yeah. same. also as children, you know, we have to get that imagination taken out of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we mm-hmm. would be dreamers, then we're being lazy. Um, mm-hmm. So, so you talk so much about the importance of imagination. And um, I just wonder if you would like to share more about the importance of imagination. Yeah. Yes, let's see. Um, so, so something that uh, that I do myself and also guide uh, people to is when we're out in so-called wild nature, um, and we're really I. For me, it seems really important to give our attention to the other than human beings, mm-hmm. to really give our close attention to lavish uh, the world, the other than human world with our attention and praise and uh, song and maybe our caresses and so on. It's, um, it's not our usual way for people to go out um, and give attention to something other than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so to really turn our attention to the world, mm-hmm. and that by itself is a consciousness-altering um, practice. And, and then to notice what, if anything, comes on the horizon of imagination. Like, what shows up? Sometimes, you know, maybe nothing. Maybe, maybe I'm... Go, I go out with this kind of practice, but I'm so uh, involved with a worry uh, that I have that that it that I really kind of am stuck in that worry. <laughs> Although for myself, I find this kind of practice of giving my attention to the world in praise or some way it helps. It really helps break the hamster wheel mm. of my mind mm-hmm. and. Um, <clears throat> But then to notice what comes, does anything come that is uh, uh, in, of the imaginal, of image or impression or um, maybe a big idea or something that seems like it's not so much of the human or maybe it's not so much mine, but something, um, something 
something opens and the images that I'm not trying to force uh, might be present. Mm-hmm. And um, like I was thinking about this today and remembering one time I was in Northern California and, and in a place where there's, they're doing salmon stream restoration, which I could feel how important that is there mm-hmm. in a place that's been so tamed and, you know, the redwoods all cut and so on. Um, so they're doing a lot of work to bring back salmon. And there's a lot of also permaculture happening there. And um, and I was on the land there and and with the beauty of the redwoods and, and the possibility of salmon and so on. And suddenly I had this image of um, all these permaculturists and primitive skills people and rewilders and earth visionaries and mystics. I had a vision of them as being something like the fruiting bodies of a great mycelium network that was underground, that had been underground all these years and years and years. But now the conditions were right for this uh, emergence of all these um, the phrase that just came to me is earth wizards, <laughs> people doing transformative work mm-hmm. in the way that uh, mushrooms, mm-hmm. you know, t- transform. And that was uh, an image that just came. And it seemed to me then and still kind of seems to me that this is as if the world is speaking, as if the earth, psyche of earth offered this image. Mm-hmm. And um, so it seems to me, yeah, that paying close attention, and I can't believe I just said that paying attention because that's the language of the marketplace, which I, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm usually pretty good at replacing that language. But anyways, offering our attention to what is on the horizon of our imaginations, which for most of us, um, have been, were conditioned to mm-hmm. uh, not notice mm-hmm. because, you know, it's just your imagination. Mm-hmm. And so we all learned, I think, to disregard things that don't make sense or don't fit into the cultural script mm-hmm. or that don't, um, don't mm, contribute to our capacity to earn a livelihood or something. Mm-hmm. That's... Um, but it wasn't always like this, Jen. And um, so something that seems really important to me to remember, to remind myself of, is that um, before the so-called enlightenment, before the idea of the world was split into matter and spirit or mind and matter, before then, even Westerners believed in the vitality of dreams and images, even I'm saying Europeans, mm-hmm. um, uh, in the dreams and the images that might just arise were believed to be as real and significant as the material world, even for our ancestors, our European ancestors. <clears throat> and um, the uh, French scholar of Sufism, Henry Henri Corbin 
called this dimension of reality the mundus imaginalis or the imaginal world. And this uh, imaginal is not yours or mine, but it's a dimension that's shared by all beings. Mm -hmm. And it's now believed by at least some people in the Western world that that uh, that the world speaks to us in image. The imaginal is like the where somebody who's an artist might get a an image and then they paint it. That image just shows up somehow, mm-hmm. and uh, so that seems connected with the imaginal world. Um, and but it's also believed now by some people in the West that the world speaks to us in images or impression or sound. Mm -hmm. These images don't have to be visual, but that this is on the horizon. Some um, uh, those strange dreams we might have of walruses or, or, or times that are not our own or, or snakes or uh, may actually be these others wanting to communicate with us Mm -hmm. and this may be how uh, they get our attention Mm -hmm. through the imaginal Mm -hmm. yes or if we if we're sitting with a a tree a cottonwood or a birch tree and we suddenly have a feeling that the tree may be rejoicing or reveling in our affection, Mm -hmm. we suddenly have this sense Mm -hmm. that it may actually be Mm -hmm. the tree communicating with us. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we're, you know, it's a, it's a practice for us to notice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I'm curious besides um, offering our attention, are there any other, little tricks um, or tools that you suggest for helping people to sharpen their tool of imagination? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lots of things. Um, um, Let's see. We might make ceremonies. I know you do ceremony. Mm -hmm. Uh, We might make ceremonies as if it matters to the, to the wilder others. Um, Something that I might encourage people to do is, be alert for possible spontaneous gestures of reciprocity, mm-hmm. um, like mm, a common one might be you come across something that has died, mm-hmm. and and what? How might you engage with this uh, moment mm-hmm. in a way that matters? Mm-hmm. Or. Um, yeah, spontaneous gestures of reciprocity, little like ceremonial offerings to the world. That's a really good way to get the imagination going. Mm-hmm. Um, singing to the world, dancing with the trees or the grasses, um, uh, letting ourselves imagine how the world experiences us. If I'm walking on the land, I'm walking through a grove of redwoods, Mm 
Mm-hmm. How is it possible that they are seeing and feeling me to let myself imagine that? Well, I'm sitting with that one and uh, I, I've done all of these other ones. One of my favorite, I love to sing to the world and I love to dance with the trees. But I'm not sure that I've ever walked and imagined how the world was receiving me or perceiving me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I love that. And one of the things I like about it is, I mean, just in this moment, it feels like it shifts the perspective of Mm -hmm. where, you know, humans are the supreme beings of the world. Yes. Um, and it's mind images. Uh, I don't know if you know of the international community in Italy called Domenher. No. Um, well, it's, they're an intentional community there, and I won't get into all of that story. But mm-hmm. what's bringing to mind is there. Many of their buildings are painted with murals on the outside, and oh, nice. intentionally have um, flowers and plants and um, animals much, much bigger than the humans that are in there. So the humans are <laughs> insects. Um, and so it just, that just plays that the two of them play in my mind together. And I feel like that's so important for us to switch that perspective that we are um, the supreme beings. And mm-hmm. yes, anyways, yes. thank you for that. Yes, or even walking on the land in it, letting ourselves imagine that point of contact Mm -hmm. foot on the earth Mm -hmm. and what is the earth experiencing Mm -hmm. there yes one of my favorite meditations is to walk and with every step um, imagine that i'm sending love to the earth through my Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. beautiful those are wonderful. And do you have any other suggestions? Well, I probably do. Um, I probably do. But uh, something else I do want to say, since yes. we we just have this time, and um, is through a long process of uh, exploration, um, it. Uh, let's see. I'm not quite sure how to say this I've, in a way that's quick, quick mm-hmm. but um, I believe, and this is from studying ecology and studying uh, the relationships of the wilder others with the world and how they each occupy a place in the ecosystem that's unique to that species. Mm-hmm. And um, I wondered for a long time if that's true for all the wilder others, would that not be true for human beings? Mm-hmm. That we have a particular offering that is beneficial to the ecosystem that we inhabit and our ecosystem as a species now is really the world. Mm-hmm. And what is it, if it's true for the others that their offering, their contribution, is intimately connected with their unique abilities as a species, Mm -hmm. would this not be true for humans? Mm -hmm. And what is it 
if that is true, what is it about humans that is unique to us? Um, not better, mm-hmm. not you know hierarchically more evolved or whatever, but what is unique about us? And <clears throat> um, philosophers, many philosophers have proposed um, the very solid idea that our form of consciousness seems to be different uh, from the others, the other creatures. Um, and for me, there's one element of our form of consciousness that seems especially unique, and that is our ability to imagine what doesn't exist and to create what doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And um, our world, everything in the human world has emerged from the human imagination. Mm-hmm. This, um, you know, Shakespeare and iPhones and poison arrows and skin kayaks and um, Hubble telescope, one of the great uh, inventions, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, imagination is where these originated. And so, so the human imagination to me seems uh, crucial to our emerging future to bring the capacities of the human imagination in coherence with um, Earth's living systems. Mm-hmm. This seems to me to be um, our, a part of our evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, so um, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking of, I think it's a quote from Rudolf Steiner, who, um, you know, again, people get worried. What if I'm imagining it? And, um, and he said, well, we first have to image something before we can create. So just as you're saying, everything comes from our imagination. And I think when we, when we really let that sink in, then it also gives us permission to let our imaginations just run, um, which Mm -hmm. allows us to create um, mm-hmm. what, what we do not have yet. Um, and I would and especially, add to, oh, sorry, go well, ahead. I was say, I would add to what you were saying earlier about um, the, uh, did you say the song of the earth or the voice of the earth that um, when we are connected in and we're listening mm-hmm. to them, that's where our imagination really feeds, right? And so mm-hmm. when we're connected with these other beings, um, that's where I think, for me personally anyways, that's where I feel like we will get the information, the tools, the systems, mm-hmm. everything that we need to survive and to thrive in this mm-hmm. evolution in our next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yes, to be, to the, the emerging possible human relationship with Earth, mm-hmm. to be coherent with living systems Mm -hmm. rather than against you know or in opposition to living systems Mm -hmm. um that seems to me to be the great possibility for us Mm -hmm. yes and listening learning to listen 
to hear, to be receptive to what the world wants. Mm-hmm. Well, Janine, our time is um, coming to an end here. Yes. <laughs> um, tell a seminar not in general, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so I'm just wondering. I mean, I feel like we could talk for days, and um, and I so appreciate what you have mm-hmm. offered already. But I'm just wondering if there's anything else that you would like to share or say or bring um, to a point. Okay. Let's see. Um, okay. Well, I think I'm gonna. Um, offer a poem. This is one of mine. And um, let's see. Um, And what I want to say before I offer this poem is that in case um, anybody listening doesn't know this, um, the butterfly, the image of the butterfly is one we often use at the Animus Valley Institute. The the caterpillar becoming a butterfly in the time of the chrysalis, which is that in-between state, the caterpillar turns to a kind of soup. It completely disintegrates before it uh, takes the form and emerges as a butterfly. This is something that science doesn't really understand. This complete transformation from one kind of creature to another. And um, so we often use this image with Animus Valley Institute. And I was reflecting on this this morning that it seems also appropriate for our time that, uh, what, that we very well may be in a time that is a kind of disintegration of what we know and the ways that we orient ourselves in our world and what is coming is something we can't quite yet see. So, but this poem I want to offer is called The Return. And uh, I wrote this after a vision fast once when I was um, considering how it is for people that we guide to be going home to their communities where People might know that they've gone on a vision fast um, and, and, yeah, what the people might be expecting from or, (laughs) yeah, expecting or skeptical of about the faster returning home. So this is called the return. Someday, if you are lucky, you may return from a thunderous journey trailing snake scales, wing fragments, or the musk of earth and moon. Eyes will examine you for signs of damage or change, and you too may wonder if your skin shows traces of fur or leaves, if thrushes have built a nest of your hair if Andromeda burns from your eyes. Do not be surprised by prickly questions from those who barely inhabit 
their own fleeting lives, who barely taste their own possibility from those who barely dream. If your hands are empty, treasureless, if your toes have not grown claws, if your obedient voice has not become a wild cry, a howl, you will reassure them. We warned you, they might declare. There is nothing else, no point, no meaning, no mystery at all, just this frantic waiting to die. And yet, and yet, and yet they tremble, mute, afraid you've returned without sweet elixir for unspeakable thirst, without a fluent dance or holy language to teach them, without a compass bearing to a forgotten border where no one crosses without weeping for the terrible beauty of galaxies and granite and bone. They tremble, hoping your lips hold a secret that the song your body now sings will redeem them. Yet they fear that your secret is dangerous, shattering, and that once it flies from your astonished mouth, they, like you, must disintegrate before unfolding tremulous wings. Oh, that is beautiful. Thank you, Janine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you, Jen. Mm. Well, I hope you all enjoyed today as much as I did, Janine, really, from the bottom of my heart. I'm so grateful to you for um, sharing your, your beauty with us today. And, um, and really, she is quite a prolific uh, author. So please, um, if you've not read any of her work, please um, check it out. There's quite a lot online, and we've shared some on our website and Facebook page. Um, and I want to invite you to join us next month on February 16th for our, as we continue our series, teleseminar series. Our next one is Nature, Music, and Medicine, a co-creative process with Maureen Robertson and Jose Melo. And Pam Montgomery, one of our Vision Council members, will actually be talking with them live from Portugal. So it should be quite an exciting event. You can listen to our other teleseminars and of course this recording and learn more about us on our website, natureevolutionaries.com. And while there, please um, click on that lovely donate button for it is your donations that help us to carry this work forward and also, as well as offer these teleseminars. And if you are not already, we also invite you to become a member of one. Um, and, and while our members should be receiving something shortly about our upcoming workshops, but they'll also be listed on our website soon. And again, you can find more about Janine at animus.org, A-N-I-M-A-S.org. So thank you for joining us today and thank you, Janine. And I want to also thank all the beautiful beings that you called in for us today, Janine. So thank you to the ancestors and the seven generations. May we always remember them in our actions. Have a beautiful thank day. Thank you. Thank you, Jen.
Thank you.